Come on, we're excited about the work that God's doing in the hearts of our kids every week. We so appreciate all the children's workers that are out there. I was talking with somebody uh, just, just this afternoon, and, and uh, they're, they're newer to the church. They made a decision for Christ this year, and, and uh, they've uh, been walking through the membership uh, you know, process. They're going to be a helper uh, in, in workshop. They're so, they, were, they were saying, I can't wait for my first Saturday to be in there with the kids. And so uh, we were talking, I was saying, you know, you, you can imagine there's going to come a day where one of those children, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, is going to be telling their story about their journey as a Christ follower. And they're going to look back to when they were a child and they're going to mention your name as a person that made a difference in their life. And you could just see, you know, the, the excitement that was stirring in their heart. And every one of us should have that kind of expectation on our life. That there are going to be people in this world that, that when they tell their story, that, that whether they can remember our name or not, they're going to think of us because we had a, made a difference in their life in pointing them to Christ. And so uh, that's, that's huge for us as a church, that we want to make a difference in this world by helping other people making Jesus known. And that's here in our community, but it's also on the other side of the world in various places. And so at the business meeting again tomorrow, we're going to be talking about how we're going to be taking up supporting missionaries. Come on, on a monthly basis for the very first time as a congregation, we're going to talk to you about who they are. We're going to talk to you about a missions project that we're going to take on together uh, in 2012. We're excited about, about this place that, that God has grown our church and enabled us to step into a place financially where we can do that. And so we thought there's no better way for us to prepare for that meeting that we're going to have tomorrow than to have somebody come and share with us tonight who've actually lived on the mission field and have been the recipient of other people's generosity who were thousands of miles away. This is in 1 John, beginning in verse 1, it says, what was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. We don't want to have someone just come and talk about missions who's not done missions, who's not been missions. And so Hal and Denise Abner, they were new to our church this past year, and they both grew up on the mission field in Papua New Guinea. That's how they met each other, if I'm not mistaken. And so they're going to have, we heard them share this in Williamsburg uh, back at, uh, at Thanksgiving. And they are a first John, these first few verses of a story lived out, what they have seen and heard, what they've touched with their own hands, what they've seen God do on the mission field in, in many respects because there were churches like this in America that were helping to fund that and to make a difference. So they're helping us as a church get that online. They're serving on Amanda uh, Silva's new uh, life team. We're going to get talking about that tomorrow. We've adopted a neighborhood here uh, in, in Newport News because we want to do it here and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so can you welcome Hal and Denise Abner? Give them a warm City Life welcome as they come. Well, hallelujah. Good evening. Um, yeah, it's our honor to come before you tonight and share a little, bit with, a little bit with you about Papua New Guinea and how we were raised as missionary kids. And uh, we're just so excited to be part of a great commission church, you know? I mean, when, when, when a church realizes its role and its part in the great commission, great things start happening to the people in that church. Great things start happening to the body of that church. Big things, exciting things, bold things start happening, and you start experiencing the favor of God at the personal level and in the body as well. And so uh, we, this was modeled to us at a young age as we grew up on the mission field, and our churches were great commission churches. And it led me to select this verse as my life verse, Daniel 11:32, b but the people that do know their God. You know, it's hard to know true peace without knowing God. It's hard to know true victory without knowing God. It's hard to know the true blessings of God if you don't know God. It's hard to know true joy, not happiness, joy, without knowing God. And when you know God, you can then become strong and experience His favor. You can be strong in all areas, all dimensions of your life. And then you can do exploits. Some translations say mighty exploits. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that's my life person, and it means a lot to me. And we want to kind of share a couple things with you about New Guinea tonight, how we got involved in missions, um, some of the signs and wonders and miracles that we saw there in New Guinea, 
And more importantly, how did those signs and wonders and miracles happen? Why did they happen? What was so exciting about it, and why did they happen? And so uh, before I do that, I want to just briefly introduce, my, introduce myself. I am Hal Abner, little Abner. I get it all the time. Uh, my wife is Daisy May, right here in the second row. She's going to come up in a minute. But um, my daughter is, uh, I have two daughters, uh, Natasha. Can you pick out my daughter from this picture right here? Yeah, okay, right there. She's a, the nursing major at Liberty. And then my other daughter right here is Nicole. She is a baking and patisserie. Did I get that right, Dominic? Pa patisserie? Pastry. Pastry major at Johnson Wales University. Two very important parts of my life. But the most important part of my life is my wife. My wife that I met on the mission field. We were childhood sweethearts in Papua New Guinea. And so I want to ask her to come up. And we've been married for 25 years this March. Yeah! And I'm going to have her greet you. She's going to greet you in her native tongue. Uh, oh, my notes say house warning. Warning to the house. She's going to be speaking Neo-Melanesian pigeon. She's not going to be speaking in tongues. So we don't need someone to stand up and give the interpretation. This actually happened to us once. She started speaking the language of New Guinea, and the lady says, Thus saith the Lord, get on your knees, worship me, I am your, your power, you are my people. And so I had to really politely correct that lady and say, Sister Susu, I'm sorry, but you're out of water. Now, now how many of you think I did that? No way on earth. I, that, was one of the, that was one of the times where I heard the audible voice of God, and he said, Hal, go with it. So, whoo, I was on my knees, baby. We just went with it, and hey, man, it worked. It worked. Anyway, she's going to greet you in her native tongue, Pigeon English, not in tongues. All right. I've been doing all together. You're blessed up good? Good afternoon, everybody. How is everybody feeling today? I'm good, good, I'm good for something. Me, I'm a master, master, I'm coming to talk, talk, you play tonight on Papua New Guinea. I am happy to speak with you today about Papua New Guinea, where we were raised. Me, like, lift him up in name belong big pillow. Praise the Lord. But, okay, that language, <laughs> PNG is very literal. What she said was, I want to lift up the name of the biggest one in the universe, which is, praise the Lord. Okay, so me, like, lift him up in name belong big pillow, belong one in something, Name belong him, and on top all get a name. His name is above all names. He is a God above all gods, and we should worship him. Now behind me, by talking a little bit something, Lord, you now you by hide him. All get is something God is how we make him in Salo Pablo, New Guinea. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk a little bit about New Guinea, and I want to share with you some of the signs, wonders, and miracles that we saw on the mission field. Now past time, me by asking you, Lord, broke him head, blow you, and I broke him school, blow you, me by baiting. Let's pray. Now, the literal language that she said was, let's break our screw. They have no word for getting on their knees, and, and they have no word for, um, for um, bowing, for bowing. So this is a screw, and break your neck. So to break your neck, you bow your head. So when we asked them to pray, they would break their knees, and then they would bow their head. So let's go ahead and, and just, just stay. Well, let's, let's pray. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you that we can come and have some fun tonight, share some experiences about Papua New Guinea. Lord, your word says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So, Father, I pray that the word of our testimony, Holy Spirit, as we share tonight a little bit of our testimony, that you would help it to minister to others, to help them overcome any obstacle that the enemy is trying to put in front of them, any physical obstacle, any emotional obstacle obstacle, any financial obstacle. Father, I pray that you would use our testimony to help them overcome the enemy in every form, fashion, and manner. Lord, we just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, let me ask you real quick. Uh, does anybody know where Papua New Guinea is? Papua New Guinea is about 450 miles off the southeastern tip of Australia. Uh, right there. It's the second largest island in the world. Who knows the largest island in the world? We like participation in the City Life Church. Oh, I'm sorry. I threw up a gang sign, City Life Church. That's People ask me, where do you go to church? I go to City Life Church. What's the second largest island? The first, the, uh, Greenland. The first largest island is Greenland, right next to Iceland. Very close. Give them a hand. That's pretty close. Greenland's the largest island in the world. Papua New Guinea is the second largest island in the world. Um, Denise grew up right here in Leo on the coast. I grew up here in Garoka in the mountains. 
And this is the flag of Papua New Guinea. The five stars point to the five islands that are south and east of them that they're joined with to help for political power. And the yellow bird is called the bird of paradise. It is the, it is the bird that has the most colors of it in its genus and its species. And today, if you shoot one of these things, there's a $10,000 fine. So it's the most beautiful bird in the world, and it's called the bird of paradise. A song was written about it. Johnny Cash wrote a song about it. May a bird of paradise fly up your nose. It's impossible because it's so big, but it's a beautiful bird. Okay, so uh, turn, if you will, uh, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, real quick. I just want to share this verse with you. Uh, this is our foundational verse. This was the foundational verse for my family, my father, when he got saved as a Christian in our church. My father was a drinker, a smoker. He was a midnight toker. He was in the Air Force. He did all the bad stuff. When he got saved, it was a total change of personality. He no longer wanted any of that stuff. Two years later, we were sent to the foreign mission field in Papua New Guinea. The Air Force didn't even know where it was at, but they moved our stuff there once they found it on a map. So this was his foundational verse, and our, fa our family's foundational verse for New Guinea. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? That is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings. We can see that this verse is telling each one of us that everyone needs to share the word of God. It's mandated by the Bible, by Christ, for every single preacher, every single person to be a believer. The gospel is available to all, but here's the trick. It cannot be discovered by all. It must be disclosed to all, and we've got to disclose it. The gospel cannot be discovered by all. It must be disclosed to all. And so the gospel needs to be preached. And so we all have a mandate to preach the gospel. You do and I do. See, in verse 14, they, how can they call on him unless they hear? A lot of times, the only Bible that someone's going to read is you, your words, your actions, your speech, what you do, and your actions speak louder than your words. Your actions speak louder than your words. Now, a lot of people don't believe that, but I want to give you a little demonstration right now of how your actions speak louder than words. So let's participate together, and everybody do as I do, and let's see if I can demonstrate this concept. Take your finger and point it to the ceiling. Very good. Make an okay sign. There we go. Go ahead and put that on your chin. All right, put it on your chin. Very good. Put it on your chin. All right, very good. Very good. My action of putting it on my cheek, I said put it on your chin. But you see, you saw my action of putting it on my cheek, and you did exactly as I did. Your actions speak louder than your words. Yeah. And here's the thing. Let's not be confused by the word preacher here. We've got to preach it. We've got our actions, our, let our actions be shown. We've got to preach it. This verse is talking about the message, not the messenger. It's talking about who is speaking. It's not talking about who is speaking. It's talking about what is being spoken. It's not about the orator. It's about the, what's being orated. So we're all pastors, we're all preachers, we're all ministers of the gospel, and we need to be able to do that, and we need to be able to understand our role in letting our light shine brightly in wherever we may be. Really, this verse is talking about Isaiah 52.7 as well, and it's regarding the cap captivity of Judah. When Paul wrote this in the strictest context, when you look at it in its original language, it's talking about Isaiah 52.7 and how um, the uh, um, prophets came and would proclaim the good tidings a great joy by bringing the gospel to the captives in, uh, in uh, Babylon. But in its broader context, I want to look at it in its broader context tonight. It's a very clear picture of what missions work should be in the local church. Because Paul, I believe, uh, he's thinking about, in verse 15, when he writes this, he's thinking about when he was sent back in Acts. When he was sent in Acts chapter 13. And as he writes here in Romans, he's thinking about, wow, I remember when I was sent. And this whole aspect of getting the gospel out involved people being sent. And it involves missionary work. And I want to point out five things in Acts, real quick, that uh, give you kind of a biblical foundation of missions. So, where did missions start? Where did missions start? The first thing we see, a mission started in the local church. Now, in the church, there was an Antioch. Folks, great things happen in the church. New beginnings start in the church. Your healing starts in the church. Your prosperity, your confidence, your promotion, your favor with God starts in the church, especially a great commission church. This is what Nate was talking about last week when he said, don't forsake the gathering. Where's Nate? Peace out, CLC. Love, bro. Hey. 
He was talking about CLC. Yeah, throw that gang sign up there. That's what he was talking about, about don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Get together. Come to the body. Be together. The power of agreement exists in the church, and that power of agreement will defeat anything the devil puts in your, puts in your way. So great things happen in the church. Maybe your life's not where you want it. Maybe your life's unorganized, helter-skelter. Maybe you're looking for direction. Psalm 138.8 says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns you. Maybe you have desires you want to see met. Maybe you have desires, things you've been desiring for a long time. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All of that starts in the church, in the church. So we see the mission start in the church. How did missions start? As they ministered to the Lord. How did missions start? By ministering to the Lord. How do we minister to the Lord? We minister to the Lord in a variety of ways, but one of the ways that you and I do this is by ministering to others or serving in the church, serving in the church. You know, the devil's really got us deceived sometimes. You know, when we come to church, we think we come to get, but we don't. We come to give. Church is not about asking, what's in it for me? What do you have to offer me? What can I get? The question is, what do you have to give? What do you have to offer? So when we come together and as he pours out his spirit, we come to give. We can see these verses here that talk about why Jesus came to be served. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. Jesus said he set an example when he washed the disciples' feet that the, that the disciples would follow this. Once again, my brother Nate, yeah, CLC, hit on this last week when he said, you know, ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. Yes, hallelujah. So what happened? How did it happen? They ministered to the Lord, and then they were set apart. Number three, here's the, po here's the point. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. So who? Who started this mission? The Holy Spirit. You want answers? You want to be set apart? Come to church. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. You see, Paul and Barnabas were set apart. They were already involved in serving in the local church. And the local church realized that. And the, God, and, and, and the Lord's anointing fell on that body. And they recognized that these guys were serving and that they were ready to go out. Number four, they were sent out. Notice that they were sent out. Look at three and four. They were sent out. Now, I think what, that is what Paul was thinking about in Romans 10, 14, and 15. And I think that Paul was thinking back, you know, I was separated by the Holy Spirit and sent out. But here's the key. The verb send is our clue to understanding the word missions. For behind the English word mission is the Latin word missus. The original meaning is preserved in the English word missile. Missile. So the church in missions is God's projector or God's missile hurled into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now here's the thing about this missile. It takes all of this, all of that sending power for that warhead to deliver its impact. All of this sending, all of this prayer, all of this financial support, this intercessory means, all of the letters all of the church back home doing all this work for this missile to hit its target and take back what the enemy has stolen. Senders and goers. It takes senders and goers. That's why I'm so excited about being a great part of, this, of a great commission church. Because when you start praying for and when you start doing local outreaches and start doing things, God's going to do things in your life. He's going to help you overcome so many obstacles in your life because you're giving and you're serving and you're sending and you're launching out his word in, in, into, the, into the earth. And Paul realized that. He was thinking back, you know, this is exactly what I'm doing. And then what did they do? They preached the Word of God. They preached the Word of God. All missionary work involves preaching the Word of God and preaching it powerfully. And you'll be surprised when the Word of God is taught and when the people grasp it and when they understand why they were created and when they understand why Jesus came. You know, Jesus, he knew his why. If he didn't know his why, he would have terrored those stones into bread. If he didn't know his why, he would have had 10,000 angels pull him off the cross. Why is very powerful. Knowing why Jesus came. The people in the beginning understood when, the, when we told them why he came, and more importantly, why they were created. Why they were created. You see, the devil likes to confuse a lot of people by saying, how? How could he convert those stones to bread? How could he eat that water? How could a God love me that much? I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But they knew they preached the word of God, and the people in New Guinea understood the difference between how and why. I'm going to go into that a little later. So this is the biblical foundations of, of, of missions. This is what my father and mother taught us. Our church was full of this, and uh, we learned so much 
about the power of the Word of God being ministered through a missionary vessel with a sending church and a Great Commission church. Um, so what I'd like to do now, I'd like to ask Denise to come up, and I've talked just a little bit about the Foundation of Missions, and she's going to talk more about some of the signs, some of the wonders, some of the exciting things that happened in New Guinea, and then I'm going to come back up and close this. Okay, thank you, Hal. One thing that, you know, when God calls you, he's going to take care of you, and that's one thing that we saw over there. At a very early age, we knew the power of the name of Jesus because we saw so many awesome things over there. This is my mom and dad. Um, my dad was actually called in 1956 to go to Papua New Guinea. These are my three siblings. My, uh, my fourth sister, she was born in Papua New Guinea. Then I was born in the Philippines when we had to go and relieve a missionary there for two years. Then we went back to New Guinea when I was still a baby. So basically, I grew up in Papua New Guinea as a baby until I was 17 years old. And then the Lord called us um, back to the States for a little while. And then we went to Singapore and pioneered a work in Singapore, which reached out into Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, and, and, uh, and Burma. So that, that's just a little bit of our history. But I want to kind of paint a picture um, because if some of you are called to a, a nation and you don't know anything about it, there's nothing to be afraid of because God is going to take care of everything. My mom and dad wanted to go somewhere where nobody had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and nobody would hear unless they themselves went and told them. That's, that's a huge statement right there, I think, because look at the age of their children, and they were willing to get on a cargo ship 28 days to go to a country they never heard about, never knew anything about. This was the most primitive country in the world. There were headhunters, cannibals, and these people had never seen anything manufactured in their life. If you can imagine, this is an island so totally secluded, and um, they were headhunters and cannibals, so they didn't travel much. So one village knew the other village and before them and behind them, and that was it. So they really did not know there were other countries in the world. They did not know there were other people in the world. They thought they were it. And so when my mom and dad showed up on the scene in, this, in their valley, they were terrified. They had, they had seen a couple of white men before because, because of explorers coming in to make roads in different areas. They had never seen white women and children. So they weren't quite sure. They are very superstitious people because all they have is a witch doctor. Every village has a witch doctor. That witch doctor runs that village, and he tells them how things are going to work and how they're going to go. So if, he's, if he is um, unhappy with something in another village, all he has to do is uh, put a curse on somebody in that village, and he gets a piece of their hair or a leaf that they've drank, and he'll put it in a bamboo tube. He'll either burn it, um, stab it with an uh, arrow, or he'll crush it, and that person, at the time that he says, is, will lay down and die yelling that they're burning or being crushed or that they have a spear stuck in them. Physically, you see nothing wrong with them, but they die. And we have many cases in the hospital that says unknown death, witchcraft. So that's how powerful witchcraft was. So the people were terrified of that. So when my uh, dad came into the valley, and he started preaching about Jesus and the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus and how much Jesus um, cares for them and wants them to come down and receive him into their life and how they will have peace and they'll have joy and they don't have to be afraid anymore, the witch doctor. They took six months of him preaching every single day going out there. They'd sit up on the mountains to listen and before they'd actually come down and trust him because at first they didn't know he was a person. They thought he was an, a ghost or an ancestor walking around. And then when they realized he was a person, that they would come and feel our skin, feel our hair. They would realize we're, we're people. They would trust him and they'd come down. And so if you can imagine going to a people like that, that's, that's exactly where um, he was sent and right in the middle of a mall. This was our mission station. Everything you see on there, my dad built. And when he went there, he, all he knew was um, how to preach. But he quickly had to study up and become a carpenter, a, build, a builder, a carpenter, a, a plumber, electrician, a mechanic. He had to learn medicine. He had to learn um, everything because there was absolutely nothing there and they, they needed things like this. So this is where they lived for the first 10 years of their ministry there. I lived here till I was about five and then we moved down to the coastal area. 
These are exactly what the people look like on the left there. The more feathers and shells that they have, the more wealth that they have. And the guy on the other side is a mud man, and he is um, a special, a sorrow mud man, and what they do is ward off the evil spirits. As you can see, they're not a friendly-looking people whatsoever. So <laughs> we never knew what they were thinking. So my dad always smiled and waved at them because he wanted them to know that he comes with a good message and with good intentions. And they would come uh, down to my, uh, our mission station. We, they lived in a, like a grass hut for the first year. They would come down and they would stare in the windows to see what was going on in there because they had never seen anything that we had in there. And my dad fixed, uh, a, a, we said, yes, we had running water. You um, ran down to the river with a bucket and ran back up again. And what, but what he did was he, he got a bamboo, um, bamboo system going where my mom could at least fill up a sink in the house and then they would pull a plug and the water would go out and just come out the side of the house. Well, grown men like this would stand there and wait for her to pull the plug and then they would take off running and we'd go, where'd they go? And they're, they're out watching the water come out the other side of the, of the drain. So see, so, something very simple to them is just absolutely amazing. This is what you would see just walking up and down the road. These are the people that, I, that we grew up with over there. And if you can imagine, uh, one time we were coming on the road and there was a hundred of these men and they weren't fighting with their bows and arrows this time, they were throwing stones. And we, there are people that if you are in their way, they're going to include you in their fight, okay? So we, a lot of times you don't have time to pray, but you have time to yell Jesus. And I can remember when I was 12, we came around a corner and these guys were all fighting, and one of them was backing up, bumped into our vehicle, and I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to hurl that stone into our vehicle, and who knows? You know, they have known to pull people out and include them in their fight. And all, all we said was the name of Jesus, and it was almost like Jesus put a, a, um, like a stupor over them, and they just stopped. They dropped their stones. They stepped aside. And I, I like to say that Jesus put his hands and just scooted them aside. And we just drove straight on through. And we found out many were killed in that fight. And we could have been involved in that. But the Lord, if he calls you, he's going to watch over and protect you. This is just some more of what the, what the people look like. They just wear their, everything that they wore, they grew in their garden. Their clothing is out of bark. And they had stone axes. They had bone knives. Uh, they, we, had to, we introduced them to, to uh, steel axes so that they could work better. There's, there's a little child there. Yeah, the bird of paradise is around the part of what she has on. Okay, here's Hal's tribe here. <laughs> this is what the, the uh, men looked like when they would come down. Uh, to the mission station, and they would come down to hear what, what this message was that, that my dad was talking all about. And our very first convert actually said, you know, I, I've come down to just try this thing out that you're talking about. I don't really understand it all, but I'm just going to try it out. That's how our first convert came. And my dad was like, wow, you don't come down and try out, you know, Jesus. But the Lord said, you know, what have you got to lose? So he led him in the prayer, and he said, if, if this thing works for me, then my whole village will come down. But if something bad happens to me, my witch doctor's going to uh, put a curse on you. Well, my dad knew nothing wrong was going to happen. So he accepted the Lord, and sure enough, he, he just felt clean on the inside and came down and asked that he would um, have scissors to cut his hair because they never bathed. So he wanted to bathe, wash his hair, get clothes, and he wanted to be clean on the outside because he was clean on the inside. So I think it's awesome how the saving power of Jesus Christ cleanses you on the inside and makes you want to be clean on the outside. This is Hal and his dad going down some roads. So you can imagine we said tons of prayers when we were there. And um, this is my dad going up one of the uh, roads. The, the roads were made by the uh, governments, and then sometimes the natives helped us to make roads. But if a couple boards were out, we just had to line up our tires and say a lot of prayers as he would go across them. This is a typical village scene. The men normally would just sit around and plan their hunting trips, and then they would go out hunting. The women would go to their garden every day, get what the food they needed for that night, and come home, and that was about it. See the grass huts in the back? And that's what my mom and dad lived in the first year until they could uh, build uh, a home for themselves. And this is uh, after the uh, 
pastor boys would get down and get um, cleaned up. They'd want a shirt. They want shorts. We never told them they had to wear clothing, but they wanted to. This is them uh, preaching the gospel. And how my dad did that, he just taught them one Bible story at a time. Very simple. So these people did not have, you know, Bible school education. He just taught them one simple Bible story. They would go and preach it, and he did that nine times a week into different villages until he trained pastors to get into those villages. So this is the pastor boys um, teaching their Bible st story to those people. And here's another village. Later on, they all started to wear a little bit more clothing, but they're not like us. They don't have a wardrobe of clothing. What you see there, that's the clothing they're going to wear till it falls off their body. Then they'll get another pair. So they don't have clothes like we have. Whatever you see on them is what they wear. And then this was um, in 1998. My mom and dad went back for the 40th anniversary, and this was one of the conventions that we had there. We had some awesome times at convention, because um, we would have four or 5,000 people that would walk for days to come to our conventions. And here, you know, sometimes people don't come to church because it's raining, you know? <laughs> and, and over there, they're going to walk for days to go to convention. And so sometimes we would, we would plan to feed them a very simple diet of, of rice and uh, canned fish, because it, in their village, all they eat is a sweet potato. It's not like our orange sweet potato here. It's, a, it's actually a um, white sweet potato, but it's very sweet. It's very nice. You don't have to put anything on it. And that's their staple diet. But at convention, we would feed them rice and fish. Well, one convention, we absolutely had more people come than planned, and we totally ran out of rice. And so, you know, the awesome thing is the people that do know their God shall be strong and do great, great exploits. That didn't stir our pastors whatsoever. He said, well, Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish in the Bible. He can multiply our rice and fish. So just go ahead and put in the pot, this big old pot, however much you have left. And it was only like a couple cups. And, go, and Jesus is going to multiply it. Don't worry about it. That's how their faith is over there. It's awesome. If it happened in the Bible, it's going to happen right now because it's for us. And that's how we should be. You know, we should, we should not have a limit. Well, that happened in the Bible. It's, it's for us too. The same Jesus that's living in us can do the same thing that he did way back in the Bible days. And so um, they went ahead and, and cooked the rice. And sure enough, when they went in to, to serve it, they didn't even like, I wonder if it's going to happen. They just said, go ahead and do it, you know. And they go in there expecting the rice pot to be full, and it was totally full. And they had enough to feed everybody. Isn't that awesome? And um, so they just kept, you know, dipping it out, and they had enough rice for everybody. And that was like two cups of rice in a huge thing of water, you know. Um, another time we ran out of water because it was the dry season. We have a wet season and a dry season. And um, we didn't have a lot of rain, and we had more people than expected, and we ran out of water. And we're like in the middle of nowhere. There's a little way to go down to a river, but there's, town is like five-hour drive away. So it's not like you just run into town and get some water. So we prayed. And that's the awesome thing is, you know, when things are not available to you, the first thing you learn on a mission field is you pray first, you know? And so they um, said, let's get together, let's get all the people together, and we're going to pray for rain and believe for rain in the dry season so that our tanks can be filled up. Because we had tank, uh, tanks, 55-gallon uh, galvanized iron tanks that would fill it. That was our water system. And sure enough, uh, we had gone down to the river to have a bath because that's how, when we went to camps and conventions, that's how we bathed is down the river. So we had gone down to the river to, to have a bath, and as we were coming back, it was absolutely incredible. There was blue skies everywhere, but over our camp of Capacamaragi, there was a huge black cloud, and it was absolutely pouring rain just over our camp. And it rained enough to fill up the tanks enough to give us water for the rest of the five days that we had our convention there. So isn't God good? He really is concerned about the things that concern us, you know. All we have to do is ask and believe and trust that he's going to do it, and, and it'll, it'll come through for you. This is my church that I grew up in down in the coast. My dad built this, 
And, it, and like I said, if he calls you, he's going to protect you and watch over you. He was up on the scaffolding about 30 feet up high, and he was doing some ele uh, electricity work up there. And the scaffolding broke. This was when I was about five years old. And uh, he fell down 30 feet onto cement floor. And he absolutely had not one broken bone and nothing wrong with him. He, he, he did like black out for a little bit, so that's why they took him to the hospital just to see, and there was Australian doctors there. And they said, man, the angels let you down because there is no explanation for this whatsoever. So the Lord really watched over and protected him. But um, I grew up in this church, and I actually taught Sunday school. Oh, when you're a missionary's kid, you don't go to Sunday school. You are the teacher of Sunday school. <laughs> so when I was about nine years old, I started teaching Sunday school and children's church, and I did that until I was 17, and then I taught three ladies to take over before we left to, uh, to do that. And it was so awesome. We went back in 2006 to see that church is just growing, and, and the, the Sunday school is huge. It's awesome. This was when we went back in 2006 for the 50th anniversary of the work there. And um, that's my girls and myself. And Metikau's the man I'm standing by. Metikau came down to us as one of those men that you saw earlier with his bows and arrows, but he was only like about 12 when he came down. He received the Lord, and my dad taught him. He became one of our faithful, faithful pastors, and he's still pastoring today. He saw... Um, tons of miracles in his ministry and it was awesome he has um, gone to enemy villages and been protected from being killed because you don't go to enemy enemy villages without getting your head cut off and he he was protected from that he prayed for a baby that had fallen and hit her head on the a rock and it died while he was preaching in the enemy out there to still kill and destroy but God says I've come to bring life and life more abundantly and so he said, you know, my God can heal this baby. So he picked that baby up, and the baby came alive, and the knot on its head went down. And so the Lord just did a, a miracle right there in front of all these people, and that is what opened their eyes to see that what Metikau had come there to tell them was something that was good and not evil and not to hurt them. And so they all sat down and listened, and the whole village came to know Jesus that day. Isn't that awesome? And then he also prayed for a lady that her eyes were, were open. She was blind for many years, and her eyes were open. He's also prayed for a lady that um, he had led to the Lord, and he was trying to teach that village uh, that you don't have to mourn when somebody dies because over there they cut a joint off their finger when somebody dies, and they drip the blood so that they can show the spirits that we're sorry this person died, so don't come back and hurt me. And he tried to teach them that their spirit goes to be with Jesus. So you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to cut, um, you don't have to cut your um, fingers anymore, okay? And so um, this lady had died while her husband was out in the, on a hunting trip. She was dead for three days. And he said, Lord, I just ask that you raise her to, back to life again so that you can show these people who you are because they don't understand who you are. And it would be awesome that if she would come back and she would be able to tell them who you are. And so he believed, fasted, and prayed, and stayed by her side. And the reason she was dead for three days is because they were looking for um, the husband to come back. When he came back that morning, she sat up and came back to life, and she had been dead for three days. And the amazing thing was she does not know how to read or write. She sat there and told us exactly what heaven looks like, and it was exactly what the Bible talks about, the pearly streets and the, and the golden gates, and she was pointing to my dad's rings and his diamonds and things like that. And so she was uh, telling us that she saw her house, a huge house that, that Jesus said was for her, but it wasn't finished yet because the work down on earth wasn't finished because she had a three-year-old. He said, I want you to go and raise that three-year-old to know me and to serve me and to love me. And so she came back to life again, but she saw her home. She saw the banqueting table, and she said everybody there was of all different colors. She said it was amazing. And so it was, it's so awesome to see how God works in, in um, just a very, you know, simple ways. This is Susan Miracle. She was also raised from the dead. She, Inagoria is my pastor on the side of my dad. That's my mom and dad now. And um, he had prayed for a baby. The Lord gave him a baby. But when she was about nine months pregnant, this baby died in her womb. 
So it was taken out and put in a box. And Inagori had prayed and said, Lord, I asked you for this baby. And um, I have nine chief men that have come down to celebrate the birth of my baby. And now they're saying my baby's dead. I just give that problem to you. I'm not going to worry about it. And the next morning he went in. He asked um, if he could see the baby. And they said, no, you don't want to see the baby. It's dead in a box. You, you know, that, you don't, we, we don't want to show you the baby. And he said, no, I want to see the baby. Because he knew in his heart that that wasn't the end of his baby. So they brought the box down, opened it up, and she became alive. She opened her um, eyes, wa waved her hands, started crying. And the doctor said, what in the world? What kind of man are you? I've never put death into a box. And somebody come up and look in it, and, and life comes back into a, a baby. And he said, I belong to Jesus, and my Jesus does miracles like this. Well, he became the resident pastor of that hospital. And lots of people got uh, healed that day and left the hospital that day. So it was awesome. It was awesome. He's a fantastic man. This is um, when we went back what our station looks like now. And this is a little bit of the shopping experience that you have there. Everything's um, made by shells and, and seeds and things like that. This is Hal's mission station. He grew up in, in Garoka, up in the mountains. And we had to fly into his mission station because the roads were so bad we couldn't get there. And this was the church that his daddy built. And it's still standing 50 years later and ministry doing awesome in there. And so it was awesome to see how everything's being kept beautifully. And this was our 50th anniversary to go back and celebrate with my mom and dad in, in 2006. And it was just awesome to know that there's over a thousand churches now all being pastored by local pastors. And God is still moving in a mighty way and they are actually proclaiming Papua New Guinea as a Christian nation. And to me, that is phenomenal. Awesome. So, I forgot to bring my Bible. I have one scripture I want to share with you. I forgot to bring my Bible up here. If you can turn to Ephesians 1. I was reading in the, um, uh, the Maxwell Leadership Bible. It says the law of empowerment is influence flows from identity. Paul prays that God will reveal to his readers the riches of their inheritance, hope, calling, glory, and power. Then he reminds them that they are Christ's body. Power, influence, and confidence all come from a strong sense of identity. And so I just want to ask you, are you secure in your identity tonight? Does your influence reflect this strength? And Ephesians uh, 1, I'm just going to read from... Verse 18 to 23, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know uh, what is the hope of the calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly Father in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every power in his name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head of o over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I just want to share that with you because, you know, the same Christ that that lives, that died on the cross, and all the power that's in him, when you receive him into your heart, he gives you that same power. So if you're sitting there saying, man, I wish I could experience that, you can. You can. All you have to do is ask, the, ask Jesus to come into your life and then believe that that same empowerment can be your identity as well. And he can empower you to have that faith to believe and to see mountains moved in your life. So God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, honey. Great stuff. Yep. Yep. So what have we been talking about tonight? You know, why did all these things happen in New Guinea, these wonderful signs, miracles, and things? Um, we're starting to close. I'm going to close in, in a few minutes here, and I'm not going to talk about all of these things, but, but the people of New Guinea understood the power of prayer, and they used it as their steering wheel. They prayed first, not second or third or last. They prayed first. We prayed first for these things to happen. It was our steering wheel. Number two, God was not a concept to these people. He was real. 
I mean, they read a book that he spit in some mud and put on someone's eye. They took it for fact. They spit in the mud and put on someone's eye. And God wants to manifest his glory in an undeniable fashion. And that's how he does it. He needs people that have, that know that he's real. He needs people that have unencumbered faith. They had the faith of a child. They had unencumbered faith. And then the last one there, more importantly, they knew the power of why. Folks, the devil has conceived, has deceived the American church to thinking that how is more important. The devil wants you to get wrapped up about how did you do that water to wine? How could a God like that love me? How could a God come down to this earth and die? I, I, I don't understand that, therefore I can't believe it. I don't understand how, how, how could he not call those angels off the cross? The devil has deceived us into thinking that how is more powerful than why. Why is more powerful than how? You were created to have fellowship with God so that he could demonstrate his undeniable glory in your life. God wants to manifest his undeniable glory in your life. Undeniable. You were created to have fellowship and communion with him. Jesus knew his why. He knew why he came. If Jesus didn't know his why, he would have turned that bread into stones to eat. He would have called 10,000 angels off that cross, get me off this thing and killed everybody. I mean, but Jesus knew why he came, to seek and save those that were lost. Why is powerful? Why is very powerful? So don't be deceived. Folks, we're so easy to be deceived because of all the complexities of our modern life. And you know what? Here's another opportunity for participation. I want to close here in a few minutes, but I just want to show you how easy it is to be deceived. So let's do this. Can everybody stand up with me, if you can, real quick? This is how easy it is to be deceived. I need both my hands. So clap your hands together like this. is more important than your why. So as we cue up this music, I want to ask you tonight as we're standing, I just want to transition to the last part of our service here. Do you know why? Do you know your why? Why did you come here tonight? Why are you hearing this for the first time? Maybe you don't know your why. You guys were created to have fellowship with God. In a Great Commission church, your why becomes very powerful. The only way that you're going to know your why and understand your why is to come to Jesus and to know him. It's the only way. These people had an unencumbered faith. They understood prayer. They understood that God was not a concept. He's real. God is real in your life. And God wants to manifest his glory in your life in an undeniable fashion. He wants to manifest his glory in your physical life. He wants to manifest his glory in your spiritual life. He wants to manifest his glory in your financial life. He wants to manifest his glory in your professional life and give you favor. That's why, that's why Jesus came to manifest his glory in your life in an undeniable fashion. And being part of a Great Commission church, you better be ready to receive that. God wants to manifest his glory. This is a Great Commission church. Are you ready to receive that? Are you prepared? For God to manifest His glory in your life, in all the dimensions of life, in an undeniable fashion. Folks, the only way you can be prepared for that is to have Jesus come into your heart. So I'd just like you to bow your heads if you could. And just think about it for just a minute. You know, Micah chapter 7 verse 8 says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemies. For though I fall, I shall rise again. Though I sit in darkness now and it's encamped about me, the Lord will be a light unto me. God wants to be your light. Jesus wants to be your light. But you've got to invite him into your heart. You've got to accept him. He wants to manifest his glory in an undeniable fashion, just like he did in New Guinea.
So I just want to ask you tonight, maybe you don't know your why. And if you don't, in a few minutes I want to ask you to come up and I just want to say a few words with you after the service. Nothing big, nothing bold, just, just to share with you a few things. To tell you why you were created. To tell you why you're part of a great commission church. To tell you how you can allow God to manifest his glory in an undeniable fashion in your life. Because we're meant to be bold. We're meant to be strong. For the Lord thy God has never, he'll never leave us. And the people that do know their God shall be strong and do mighty or grand exploits. So Jesus stands knocking at the door. Maybe tonight you want the undeniable glory of God to be manifest in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to dismiss. We're not going to prolong this. But I want to give the opportunity to at least raise your hand and say, yep, I want God to manifest his glory in my life in an undeniable fashion. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the word that's gone forth tonight. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would help our testimony uh, overcome whatever obstacles people may be facing in their life. Emotional obstacles, physical obstacles, financial obstacles, spiritual obstacles, whatever they may be, Father. We know our testimony is powerful. And Father, we know that you're a God that honors his word. So tonight, Lord, I pray that people would be bold in raising their hands and eager to seek out and want you to demonstrate your glory in an undeniable fashion in their life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So just by, just by a show of hands, every head, head, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to make that declaration in your life, just raise your hand. It's between you and God. Just between you and God. Yes, God, I want you to manifest your glory in my life in an undeniable fashion, in my physical life, in my spiritual life, in my financial life, my professional life, my emotional life. Yes, Father, I need you to manifest your glory in an undeniable fashion so that I, too, can share my testimony about your power. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for coming tonight. Thank you very much. And I'll turn it over to Pastor Fred. God bless you. Come on, can you say thank you to Hal and Denise for sharing that with us, that story? Come on, it's good. You know, your mission field might not be Papua New Guinea, but it's going to be somewhere. It could be the neighborhood where you are. It's the place where you work. And it's, it's each of us waking up every day with the same perspective that their parents did. God, use me to make a difference in the world that I live in. We want to be a church that helps you find out how to do that. Hey, if you're a lady, we hope that you're going to the ladies' night out. You can see Vanessa or Christy, one of the ladies in the church. If it's not too late to join them in. And uh, guys, we'll see you in the drive-thru. So... We'll see you next week.